Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Hannah Tom opened up our new series, Highs and Lows, where we will talk about different mountaintop or valley experiences seen in the Bible and how to navigate those in our own lives with faith and hope in Jesus. We looked at Luke 9, verses 28 through 36, and the story of the Transfiguration, where Peter, John, and James all have a literal mountaintop experience with Jesus. Peter begins to worship Jesus as a prophet and for what he can do and worship that mountaintop experience. Hannah talked about how often we can do this too, but Jesus deserves our true worship, regardless of our situation. She challenged us to invite Jesus into our valleys and be careful to not just live in those mountaintops. We hope you're encouraged and enjoy this message. All right. Who is a freshman in the room? A lot, okay. Who is a sophomore in the room? Junior? Seniors. Who's college or older? (laughs) Who's a boomer? Matt. (laughs) I actually found out Matt's a millennial today. I was wrong. I'm so sorry, Matt. (laughs) He knows what TikTok is. He's not a boomer. Okay. All right, so seniors. You guys might relate to this, maybe not, I don't know. When I was a senior in high school, so I grew up going to youth group every single year of my life. I went to youth group on Wednesdays, that's when it was. My youth group in a small Lutheran church in Wisconsin was like in between 10 to 20 kids every single week. Every week, no more than that. Maybe 30 if it was like bring a friend night, but it was nothing like this. It was like the 12 people I can see right here, congratulations, that was the entire size of my youth group, and usually it was all girls. Plus or minus one or two boys if one of us was dating a boy at the time, right? So when we went on mission trips or like youth trips or whatever, you know the big white vans that you get when you have enough people to fit in one of those? Yeah. Or maybe fellowship takes like 18 of those vans, I don't know. So whenever we got one of those, it was one of the most exciting things. Even though when we went on these trips, We didn't know what they actually meant because none of us, if I look back to my best judgment, I know myself, I was not a Christian until I was 18. Even though I grew up in church, went to youth group every single week, um, I just, I think I would identify as like I believed in God, but I know now that I was not a Christian until I was 18. And I'm going to tell you the story of when I became a Christian because for me, in the series, Highs and Lows, this week in which I became a Christian, it was a mission trip with my youth group when I was 18, when I was a senior in high school. I just graduated, actually. It was the summer after I graduated high school that I got saved. I can look back on this week, and I know without a doubt in my mind, full clarity, that that is when I was saved. I accepted Jesus Christ for the first time, despite thinking I knew him any time before then. This week changed my entire life. So, from Wisconsin, my whole entire youth group, all, you know, 12 and a half of us, are in the van with our youth pastor, Brooke. Oh, and I had seven different youth pastors in seven years. So Brooke was, <laughs> yeah, so Brooke was the cool one who took us on this mission, this mission trip for the very first time. We went to Joplin, Missouri with Next Step Ministries. You guys go to Lexington with every summer. They have like 15 locations all over the country, a couple outside the country. I ended up interning with them for like three years, but how I ever got to know them was as a student on a mission trip. And I think she could tell, Brooke could tell, our youth pastor, that nothing else was really making a big impact on us for some reason. I don't know what it was. Maybe that we had seven different youth pastors, weren't committed or something like that. But this mission trip was like, she put a lot into it, and now I know why. So we go on this trip. We're all in the white van. We, we pile out of the van after driving for like 16 hours straight. Left at like at 4 a.m. one morning or something. Right when we got out of the van, the whole entire Next Step staff tries to like greet everyone like the 10 interns do. Um, 
they want to meet everyone, get to know every single person's name, and they want you to meet them. And I remember meeting the worship leader. She was an intern. Her name was Brittany. And she came right up to me and met me. And every single day on that trip, she took a lot of time getting to know me. And I was humbled and honored. I was a senior in my youth group, the only senior girl. Maybe that was it. Maybe she just wanted to invest in me because I was the oldest one and she could tell we needed investing. She probably knew just by looking at us and hearing 10 seconds of a conversation that we weren't following Christ. There's like, <laughs> there's no chance. Um, I can't say that. You never know about the other person next to you. But anyways, so she could tell. And she knew that I was kind of like a leader at that point by default and being older than everyone else in my youth group. So whole entire week, I don't know if it's because I'm an Enneagram 4 or super emotional, but of course, I, <laughs> yeah, I cried every single night of the trip, of course, super awesome. So the format of Next Step Trips, if you're not familiar, is like construction during the day, you're on site with an intern and like 10 other kids from like, could be your church, could be another church, there's like 100 students there, 100 students there total, and 12 of them would be from my youth group. So you're on site during the day, and every single night there's worship, and and she was the worship leader, like the main worship leader of a band of like seven people or something. She was the lead singer. And I was honored. She got so close to me every single night. I cried so much. She'd come pray over me, spend a lot of time with me. Afterwards, catch up with me, make sure I understood what the message was about. I don't, I literally don't remember anything about any of the messages. I feel so bad now. But, <laughs> um, but I knew my heart was changing. I knew something was happening different than ever before. I was listening in a way I never had before. Someone was caring about my faith in a way no one ever had before. Seven different youth pastors in seven years, and this one leader on this one trip made a big difference. Then the last night of the trip, I remember, it's Friday night, Saturday morning, you pack up and leave with the whole entire group. It was worship, and I love singing and worship, so of course I'm all in every single song, you know. But no, no hands in the air, not when you're raised in a Lutheran church in Wisconsin. It's very much like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one of these, maybe, I don't know. Usually the boys don't say any words, don't, don't sing, don't. <laughs> um, but so my youth group is like maybe about right here, nice far back corner, all the way back here. You know, here's, we're feeling like our row and a half. And the last night of worship, I remember I'm sitting in my chair, probably actually like literally right here. And I remember mid-song, I don't remember the song. I wish I did. I should probably ask her. Mid-song, last night of worship. I need to know these details. Um, I remember Brittany who's singing like, maybe right here. And just like there's like a side door over there. There was a side door over there. And then there's like another girl singer singing like harmonies here. And then some other guy singer and then a couple band members. But Brittany's singing right here. And from my best recollection, I remember the last song. Not the last song. One of the last songs in the last night. She just stopped singing mid-song. Like imagine like, I don't know, Allie or Tanner just stopping mid-song, or Matt, if he just stopped mid-song. On this side of the stage, I remember watching her stop and the lead girl picked up singing and I watched Brittany sit down on the edge of the stage. And I'm sitting back here and no one's phased. Everyone's still singing. No one's confused. Oh no, there we go. <laughs> so no one's confused, and I'm like, what? Uh, uh, do, do you not see that? In my head, I'm like, what? How was no one noticing this? So I like ran up to her because I was emotional, and she was my person that whole week. I'm like, like dude, what's up, or something? And then she walks me out, takes me outside, so the door was 
It wasn't upstairs like this. She just led me outside. It was like sunset. Really beautiful. And I remember thinking about how pretty it was. I don't remember the name of the song, but I remember what the clouds looked like. And, and she basically, I didn't know the terms repentance, salvation, any of the theological, like, the words you put to what happened. But basically, looking back now in my best description, she basically walked me through repentance without telling me what that was. So I remember I spilled the beans of everything I'd done wrong in high school. Which, like, you know, was a fair laundry list, but not, not a whole lot. But I just told her everything I'd ever done wrong. And, and then she walked me through um, what forgiveness from God looked like and forgiveness from Christ and what he did on the cross and why he did it. And it was in a way that it had never been presented to me before. Because, like, most 18-year-olds who've done four things wrong, they're like, well, I mean, I'm going to burn up when I walk in this church now. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so she walked me through, like, no, you, you can start a new life. Do you know that? And I just remember crying, of course. And then I basically said, yeah, I'll, I'll start a new life. It wasn't like, hey, do you want to get saved? Do you want to accept salvation? Like, you know, raise your hand, run to the front and pray with me. Like, she just walked me outside, talked me through it, and I accepted a new life. Then we came back in, and it was mid-song. <laughs> she has me walk on stage with her, makes everyone stop. She tells the whole band to stop. All of the mid-song, it sounds like a movie, the way the instrument's just like, it's like <laughs> cut out, and makes me announce from stage, well, asks me to announce from stage, that I just accepted a new life and wanted to walk with Jesus. The funny thing is, though, it gets cooler. About a year later, so, like, she knew that, I th well, I didn't even have to tell her. She just kind of understood that, like, I didn't have consistent leadership in my life at all. My parents aren't Christian. My family isn't Christian. They'd say they believe in God, but I, they don't walk the life that I would need to, a role model to do. Um, I've had different leaders here and there at this point, different youth pastors, some I liked, some I didn't. None of them I trusted because they wouldn't stay. So she would try and keep in touch with me because my first year of college was kind of rough. I'll probably talk about that for like a minute later. Um, and we're on the phone a year later and we were just recollecting that night or something. Like she brought it back up. She's like, yeah, like, thank God the Holy Spirit had you run up to the stage so I could stop singing and go outside with you and talk you through that. Do you hear what I said? She said her recollection and her memory is that the reason why she stopped singing was because she saw me running towards her. I said, I saw her sit down and then I ran up. So her like full recollection, memory intact, better than mine was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I sat down because you started running up and mine's the opposite. I ran up because I saw her sit down. So in my memory, I think God knew I needed such a solid, undeniable, irreplaceable memory of the moment in which he saved me because that's something only the Holy Spirit can orchestrate. So for me, I look back, and that's a mountain that's never going to leave my rearview mirror. That's something I see every single day when I look in the mirror, and I remember when talking about identity and what the song says, like, that's something I cannot deny, no matter how much I probably wanted to at times and how many times I tried to lie to myself and tell myself that wasn't true. I can't. I literally cannot, like that week and everything that happened, what the Holy Spirit did in my heart is so undeniable. And it was the kind of event God knew that I needed specifically, the kind of mountaintop he knew I needed for me to look and see him. And only he knew what I needed at that point. So 
What we're talking about tonight is the transfiguration. So I've been student teaching at Southside Christian. Go Sabres, am I right? A few of you? I've been student teaching seventh grade at Southside um, for the last six weeks. I have three weeks left uh, before I graduate from CIU this coming May. And our, we've been studying the life of Peter. So I taught this in middle school a few weeks ago, and I couldn't help thinking the entire time that I was teaching it. This would be so cool to do with high school at FGS. I would love to do it so much. So this just worked out super well. So if you have your Bibles or your device or whatever it is that you carry to read your Bible or a friend has a Bible, you can open up to Luke 9, 28 through 36. We're going to answer the question of what do you do after the mountaintop? What comes next? What's after that? Because I sure didn't know what to do after I had that experience. Right, so this is the transfiguration, starting in Luke 9, 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake and saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So here we've got Jesus, and he's with his inner circle of disciples, right? Peter, John, and James. So he had 12, but these three were with him at a lot of really special moments. He kept these three with him a lot. And then we also have Moses and Elijah. Who knows something about Moses? Shout out a couple things. Part of the Red Sea? What do we know about Moses? Tell a friend next to you something you know about Moses. Nice. See, there's a lot about Moses. So some big highlights. Israelite lawgiver, right? He went up to Mount Sinai and he got the laws. He got the Ten Commandments for us. He was the leader of the Exodus. So there's a lot of events that happen in the Exodus. I'm assuming you guys probably shared one or two of those events. He leads the Israelites in the Exodus. And he was also a prophet, which meant he received the word of God for the people of God to give the people of God. And also, he spoke to God at the burning bush. So Moses is pretty cool, right? Big figure. Most people know his name, Christian or non-Christian. You understand who Moses is from one of the stories about him, something you heard in church. Even if you don't go to church, you've probably heard of Moses. If this is your first time ever hearing anything about him, those are some big things to know about him that will help you understand who he is. Then there's Elijah. Do the same thing with Elijah. Tell the person next to you something you know about Elijah.
Emma Mitchell, what do you know about Elijah? Elizabeth? Jess Weinberg, what do you know about Elijah? Emma Kate Seckinger, what do you know about Elijah? <laughs> he never died. How, do he, how did he not die? He ascended into heaven in a chariot on fire. Pretty cool, right? Not your typical guy. I love to go to heaven that way. That sounds so interesting. What is he known as? What's like a, a title for him? He's a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, a pretty famous one at that. He could also perform a lot of miracles. Does anyone know what any of those are? Fire. He controlled the weather on top of some mountains. I like that when he raised someone from the dead. He entered heaven on a chariot by fire. That's my favorite fact. So, so we're up here on the mountain. Eight days after a lot of things had happened. If you look at chapter nine, you can see a lot has happened right before this. Peter and John and James were up on the mountain with Jesus to pray. And this happened a lot where Jesus would take these guys with him when he wanted to pray. And as he was praying, so as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. So these two great figures in the Bible are talking with Jesus. And what are they talking about? What's the topic? They're talking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they're talking about the events to come. The importance of this, though, is that Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. So by just referencing their names, anyone else reading this in this time, the readers of Luke, the listeners to this gospel, they know that when Moses and Elijah are referenced, they're calling attention to all of the law and prophets and the fact that Jesus was coming to fulfill them. He is the fulfillment of them. I think we've got a verse, Matthew 5:17. Yeah. So do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then I found a really cool quote. The physical temple has ceased to be the geographic center of worship now. Christ himself is the center of worship. He is the place, the tent, and the temple where we meet God. So that's what changes when Jesus comes. There's no longer a geographic location or a tent that needs to be set up, a tabernacle of sorts, to worship God, but rather Jesus has come to be that person in whom you worship to be with God all the time when you invite him into your life. You don't just go to church on Sundays. The whole purpose of church on Sundays is to help you understand that Jesus is the person who's supposed to walk side by side with you every single day. You're not just going to one place at one time, but having Jesus with you, that's where you worship him in your heart every single day. So by saying this, by mentioning the law and the prophets, they're drawing attention to the fact that people needed to recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And that's the significance of mentioning them here. So and behold, the two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. It's kind of like their fashion at some of these events as they fall asleep while Jesus is praying. But when they became fully awake, so they've woken up now, they saw, in, they saw in his glory, so they saw Jesus, and the two men who stood with him. So they see these three guys. They see Jesus, whose face was altered and his clothing dazzling white, 
and they see Moses and Elijah. So imagine what this is like for them. I imagine like, if this were me on the top of the mountain and I saw people standing with Jesus who like, in my life, have meant a ton, I would imagine, just imagine a conversation between Jim Thompson, Matt Densky, another pastor from another church, and another cool mentor in your life, and Jesus, and I don't know, some people like Sadie Robertson, some people like John Piper. Just imagine all of these really cool, <laughs> Christine Kane, I like my girl Christine Kane. Just imagine this like pinnacle of some incredible leaders that you know, you've heard a lot about, they have a good rapport, they've done a lot of incredible things, obviously not what Moses and Elijah have done. But imagine how Peter and the disciples are feeling right now, seeing these people who in their lives, and in the stories they've read, and everything that they know about the law and the prophets, like this is like the coolest thing in the whole entire world. They are on the top of a mountain and this is happening? What do they do? So as the men were parting from them, Peter said to Jesus, if you know anything about Peter, I'll give you context. I've learned a lot about Peter in the last six weeks. <laughs> so much. Um, Peter is known for being blunt and reckless, and he says whatever, whatever's on his mind. So raise your hand if you know someone in your friend group who says anything that's on their mind without thinking about it first. You can usually think of someone like that. Now keep your hand up if you are that person. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> so you understand who that person is. This is Peter. This is the character of Peter, and it's what he does. So very often, you're going to see him say, if you read through the Gospels, just pay attention to Peter's personality and the things he says. Before I even did this whole life of Peter study, I found when rereading a lot of these passages, I wrote LOL next to <laughs> places where Peter spoke like years ago. And I have no idea why I wrote that, but I just thought it was funny, because Peter's funny. He says things just off the top of his mind all the time. So here, what he says right here, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he was saying. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything of what they'd seen. That confused me so much when I read it. Because what, what did he do wrong? I don't understand. I don't get what Peter did wrong here. Why would he not want to preserve this awesome moment? This is so cool. Like, <laughs> the fact that he's all these great people up there, that he has Moses and Elijah and Jesus all talking about what was about to happen. And Jesus looked the way he did. What, why would I not want to preserve that? <laughs> God interrupted him right here. So while Peter was saying these things, if you notice it, as he was saying these things, 34 said, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud and the voice came out of the cloud. So the books I've read say, God is interrupting this moment. Because in this moment, Peter was equating the glory of Jesus. Even the way he looks right now, his face changed and his clothes dazzling white. He was equating the full glory of Jesus with Moses and Elijah because in the Old Testament when they talk about a tent they're kind of referencing a tabernacle which is a place in which God would dwell a place where you'd worship God and he was equating Moses and Elijah who as incredible as they are and the things they've done no one else has done that's why there's so many stories about these two guys and he's equating Jesus with them as if they're exactly the same. 
three tents. He doesn't even want to build one for him and the disciples. That's just clarifying the fact even more that they're, they're building these for worship, not to live there with them, not to sustain the physical moment, but to worship them and sustain their worshiping of them. And if it wasn't already clear that that's what they were doing, they had already been up there for a little while praying with Jesus. And it was when they noticed these guys were up there with them that now they're fully awake. There's a lot of question I'm there as to why they were sleeping and how they were sleeping. I couldn't find a super clear answer, but the one that I really liked that I found was that it just fully clarifies even more so the glory of Jesus and the fact that they were sleeping while he was praying and his face was altered and his clothing dazzling white and then they woke up. Why weren't they awake in the first place? What were they doing? They've been doing the same exact things as Jesus this whole time. They've been doing all the same events and they're fishermen. So these three guys were all fishermen, which meant at this time they fished at really weird hours. So they'd fish in the middle of the night. They're used to long hours, lots of storms, treacherous waves. But why couldn't they stay awake this time for Jesus? Why did they only want to give him his attention when he was standing there with Moses and Elijah? Why did they want to equate them the same? Because as much as I love the mentors I've had in my life, especially the last few years, and people like, like Matt and Jim, and you guys probably look up to like Rachel and Brentley and all these people, pastors and church leaders, or like Southside, Pastor Colin, like whoever you look up to, they're not the same as Jesus. As much as we give them so much love and respect that's well-deserved, Jesus is God. He's the only one worthy of being glorified. The only one who we should build our, our tents for and worship every single day and day in and day out. Not just on the mountaintop, right? Because what's the danger in only worshiping on the mountaintop? There's a lot. Matt hinted at it a little bit earlier. When you're only worshiping on the mountaintop, when you're focusing on that experience, it's incredible. Like, there's nothing wrong with, with loving the mountaintop experience. Something I did with the seventh graders was I had them all look through this passage, and you'll notice if you guys, so look down right now, actually. I don't have a worksheet for you, but <laughs> if you look down, you'll notice there's a lot of notation on sight and hearing. So it talks a lot about things that were heard and seen. And it's particularly emphasized in this passage to point out that these moments are good in the sense that they're supposed to give you a chance to hear and see from God in a way you don't usually hear and see from him. To hear from him in a, hear from him in a new way. Have him clarified to you and been given sight. And that's true and that happens. So like on my mission trip, I saw and heard from God in a way I'd never heard from him. I never heard worship the same way after that. Worship music was changed. That became a moment, like, metaphorically and realistically. Worship is a place where God interrupts my thought and my pattern in my life. That's how he speaks to me a lot of the time. It's probably the same, the same for a good handful of you guys. If music is your thing, worship is your thing, you love it. Good singer, bad singer, I don't care. If that's your thing and that's where God speaks to you, that's incredible. That's where he does it for me a lot of the time. I'll be, like, mid-song in Starbucks and... <laughs> what? <laughs> what kind of... <laughs> okay. <laughs> or mid-song at what passion or epic or a worship night. Or maybe just in your car. 
Maybe in chapel at school. I've broken down crying a few times at CIU at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday chapel, because <laughs> that's just where God talks to me. And there's nothing wrong with glorifying those moments, not glorifying those moments, with appreciating those moments for the ways in which you see and hear from God. That's special. He does something special there. And that's not to be missed. That's not to be overlooked. I've had a fair share of incredible mountaintop experiences that I have a few pictures for in a little bit. Um, but the danger of them is, then you're running from mountain to mountain. Or maybe you hit the valley and you don't know what to do because you're still looking at the next mountain so much so that you don't even realize that you're knee deep in a valley and you don't know how to get out of it. You see the mountain and you want to get there, but you're not equipped right now. You weren't ready because you were just looking at the mountain, waiting for the next one. You were trying to preserve it. Put a tent around that mountain. Worship that mountain, that experience. Preserve that. Glorify that. Instead of walking every single day with Jesus. How are you going to make it to the mountain if you're not listening to God's voice in the valley? Or looking for it? Maybe you're just waiting for him and you're not yearning to be with him. Expectantly. Waiting to hear what he has next. So what do you do? The answer is walk with Jesus. I know that's a lot harder said than done. Because no one likes valleys. Everyone loves mountains. Don't get bored. Don't get apathetic. I think that's easy. I think the disciples fell asleep. They weren't paying attention to Jesus when he was praying. Are we paying attention to Jesus? Are we praying to Jesus? So... I think we have my pictures. Aha, so here's a few mountains that I've gotten to experience that have been pretty awesome. So here's that mission trip I was talking about. I'm in like the very center there. I was 18, super cool. There's my nice little youth group. We could hit the next one. That's me and the worship leader, Brittany. That's Sharpie on my arm, not a real tattoo. You can go to the next one. So it's more recently, on a literal mountain, Black Balsam. So there's, a, there's this class at CIU that does a hiking trip as kind of like the final project. And that, that meant a lot to me. You can hit the next one. Or Epic! Who's been to Epic? How many days is, is it till Epic now, Rachel? I thought you knew the countdown. Three? Okay, three days till epic. You shout out. You guys didn't know I was putting that up there. Did I have another one or was that it? All good to go. So, those are a couple of my mountaintops. And they're super cool. And I've had a great time at all my mountaintops. I've been really Blessed is like a cliche word, but honestly, that's the best word for it. So God has given me a lot of opportunities to see and hear from him on the mountain. The problem was, I didn't know how to, to do anything after the mountaintops at first. I lived from mountaintop to mountaintop. So I'm 25 now and just about to finish my undergrad. That's because when I was 18, the story in which I got saved, what did I do two months later? <laughs> I ended up at a school where I had no accountability, no help. 
No one to walk with me to show me how to walk with Jesus. I didn't know how to hear God's voice in the valley to make it to the next mountain. I lived from summer to summer where I'd be doing these mission trips every single summer, which is when I thought I would like fix my life because I was out at school partying and stuff during the year. I knew Jesus though, I just met him. But I didn't know how to live with him. I didn't know how to walk with him. And I also didn't want to. (laughs) That's hard to admit. If you're in this room and you're not admitting that to yourself and you know you need to, I wish you would because that's when things change. When you tell yourself that you like being in the valley, you enjoy being in the valley. Because in the valley, there's things you can do to, you know, have fun. You can go drink, you can go party, you can hang out with the wrong crowd. It's more fun, it's easy, it's simple. Walking with Jesus is hard and difficult and takes discipline and accountability and honesty and vulnerability and telling other people the things you don't want to tell them, the things that you feel like have dirtied your heart and don't make you worthy of going back, of making it to the next mountain. Maybe you don't think you've earned your place of being at the next mountain. Maybe you're angry with God and you don't want to be there. Only you know what that is. But the valleys are going to get more and more difficult if you don't just ask Jesus to walk with them, walk with you through them. And I've had a fair share of those too. Not here to share all of those. Like, my dad was an alcoholic. My parents got divorced. I found out I have a sister who's 10 years older than me because my dad got someone pregnant when he was 21. I struggled with partying and could not get out of it for a long time. And then I didn't know what I was going to do, so I dropped out of school and took two years off, and that was really difficult because I realized what the real world was like, and you couldn't just live in college forever. <laughs> and then what did I do? Spent six years finishing my undergrad. <laughs> so the problem was, though, those valleys were so much harder than they needed to be because I didn't ask Jesus to be a part of them. I didn't choose to walk with him. I wanted to run away. I wanted to be mad. I wanted to be angry. I wanted to wallow in it. Maybe that might just be part of me being in any room for again. But the point is, like, you can't glorify those mountains or the mountaintop experience because if you do that, then you're not giving Jesus the full respect and love and honor that he deserves because he is God. If you don't do that, you're not going to understand who you need to invite into the valley. If you don't understand who he is. If you're equating him with an incredible leader or a friend or maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I've done that. Put a boyfriend above Jesus, above God, listen to what they said more than what he said, he being God. That's easy to do. It's easy to fall into because it's easier to do that. But it does get easier if you, invite, if you invite God into the valleys because pretty soon then, I've been on like a three-year mountaintop, honestly, being at CIU the last three years, ever since I finally actually asked God to be a part of my valleys, which is like, I think three years into my first college, I decided it was enough. I needed to have Jesus again. I, I, I was running back and forth and back and forth, and that doesn't work. You can't live both lives. It doesn't work like that. And I was in the deepest valley of my life, and I said, God, I need you. And he said, okay, are you going to obey me? (laughs) And then I went back to school. In the last three years, I've basically been living on a mountaintop. (laughs) It's been really fun. It's been awesome. I've had a great time, which has been a huge gift of grace after living the life that I've been living. 
to get to have such incredible friends and incredible community where I've been living because I asked Jesus to be a part of it. I revealed what I'd done wrong. I told people. I invited them in. But you can't glorify the mountaintop. That's Jesus' place. But the valleys are still going to come, and they're going to get better. I think, has anyone heard of Passion Conference? Who's been to Passion? It's for 18 to 25-year-olds, right? Super cool experience. If you've ever been, but you know how good it is. If you haven't been, though, when you're 18 and 25, I recommend going maybe once or twice. It's pretty awesome. It's this big, massive worship event. They have it around New Year's every single year. And I went about two months ago with a few people from here, and it was super awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So that in itself is kind of like a mountaintop experience for college students. So this past year, I'm going to bring this back around 18 to 25. I was really excited for it, right? So passion was coming up. And my life was going pretty awesome this past November, December. I was about to come in here to go, come back to Greenville to go student teach. And I spent all summer here. It was super awesome. And I was also dating someone at the time who like, was like my best friend. And then we started dating and I felt like I was on top of the world. This is going to work out. This is, this person's going to be my husband. I really don't see this ending. Why would I ever see this ending? We were best friends for three years and then we start dating. Hello, this is cool. But then what I thought would be a mountaintop, so I was looking at passion as, it was, as if it was a mountaintop. I was glorifying this event that had not even happened as a place where like, I'm gonna meet Jesus here again. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come back to him. I've been like playing around a little bit, I don't know. Um, but this is the next mountaintop. I've decided this is the next mountaintop. Walking with Jesus is fun, but I'm ready for this thing. And then the night before we went to passion, I got broken up with. You can imagine how mad at God I was then. All of a sudden, what I thought was like the mountaintop of the last three years of my life turned into a valley I really did not think I'd get out of as quickly as I did. I was mad at God. But the thing is, luckily for the last three years, I've been asking him every single day to be a part of my highs and my lows. And because I did that... (laughs) Even though I was mad at God, I was surrounded by people who I love and let me cry with them <laughs> on the phone the night before and at, at, at the event. Not everyone knew what had happened, but I felt so loved. And God surrounds you with people in your valley if you ask him to. He gives you help. He walks with you. He's a good shepherd. That's what Matt talked about this morning. You need proximity in the valley, closeness, intimacy with God. I want to be near to him. So when I was mad at God, the the cooler thing is, I wouldn't have known I was mad at him if I wasn't at this massive worship event where God speaks to me through music. I didn't even realize how mad I was at him until the song Waymaker. They played it. And what's the chorus? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God, you never stop working. (laughs) And there's the verse where it says you're mending every heart. Man, that song blew me away. I was faking it until that song came on. And I was like, (laughs) I see you, God. You're here. This is only a valley because I'm making it one. Don't create your own valleys. God wants to walk with you and be near you and be close with you. 
and guides you to the next mountain. The valleys will still come, but man, the most conflicting thing is when you're in the valley, but you also feel so loved by Jesus who's right there with you, walking alongside you. And that's in reach for everyone. He wants to be everyone's good shepherd. He wants to be with you. He wants you to make it to the mountain. He wants you to listen to his voice in the valley. I'm going to read a psalm that has been super close to me. And then that's kind of going to conclude this. But in addition to worship, especially the last three years of my life, not that I didn't care about scripture before, but in the last three years, it has come to life because I read it as if it had life. So I encourage you to do that. I'm going to read this one that has changed me. I've got a little flower in it and a bookmark and 18 highlights because I read it all the time. So I'm going to read this and I think we're going into one more song. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I'll call call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called in the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. And I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. God, I thank you so much for a chance to walk with you and to be with you. Thank you for being so incredibly beautiful and making this world so beautiful, God. Every single person is so beautiful and unique in their own ways. And design only you could make because you're the creator, God. I thank you so much for the mountains. I thank you for the valleys. Because without the valleys, we wouldn't see how incredible you are and how great it is to walk with you. God, I pray when we feel death coming near us, when we feel like you're really far away, that we just ask you to walk with us. Because goodness, seeing you and hearing you on the mountaintop is so beautiful. (laughs) I pray we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't sleep on it. We wouldn't fall asleep when you're asking us to wake up and be there with you, God. I pray we wake up today. I thank you so much for being who you are and for sending your son so we could be with you that much easier, God. It's so simple. I pray we love you better every single day. Thank you so much. In your name I pray, amen.